exciting, Dan. We have a guest today. Yes. Special guest appearance. And this, this is your special guest, is it not? It is. It is my special guest. I would like to introduce to our podcasting audience uh, Michael Osman, a.k.a. <laughs> a.k.a. Mossman. Now, am I supposed to superimpose some sort of audience clapping? <laughs> Audi- I don't know. <laughs> applause that, now? No. I think <laughs> Maybe a laugh f- track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, iTunes or GarageBand has a bunch sure of those in their stock. Um, well, very yes. welcome. Um, Thanks for having me, guys. Sure. Um, we, uh, Mike, uh, what's it called? Uh, I, I mentioned the, the possibility of, of bringing Mike on board uh, during our last episode uh, a couple weeks ago. And lo and behold, it, here, he here, here he is. Yay. You made it uh, happen. I did. I made it happen. <laughs> Mike, Mike is, uh, is Skyping in. From uh, Evergreen, Colorado. Parts unknown. Right? Well, more, more known to me, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mike, Mike, what is the uh, elevation where you live? It's about 8,500 feet. Wow. Do you have a hard time breathing? Because I was up in the White Mountains in California a few weeks ago, and I, I was up 10,000 feet, and I had a really hard time. Yeah, it, uh, it takes some getting used to. Yeah, I mean, to... we uh, when Emily and I moved here, we had a bunch of people help us load our truck up in Chicago, and then we moved to Colorado to eighty five hundred feet, and we had to unload it by ourselves because we didn't know anybody here. Mm-hmm. And man, unloading a moving truck and climbing up and down stairs with furniture and stuff on your first yeah. day, it was rough. You, wow. you probably should have waited a day or something, <laughs> dumped yeah. it all in your garage, and then maybe yeah. a couple months. Yeah. yeah. Does it really take that long, or is it like is it a matter of weeks? Uh, a couple days makes a big difference, but mm-hmm. people do still feel the effects after weeks or months. It's fascinating. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I just I have to ask because people live at altitude. It, it amazes me. So, Mike, what, uh, what, tell us a little about yourself. Um. Well, I am a hacker and a musician and a. Uh, proud owner of a geodesic dome and I have known Dan for quite a while about 10 years mm-hmm. and you're still alive and I'm still alive <laughs> okay so, so yes. my radiation fears are unfounded radiation yeah I, I think Dan's you know radioactive oh well he's definitely radioactive <laughs> No, I'm 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 the good kind of radioactive. You're getting I'm making you a better person. You know, I, I was I was reading a little bit of your your blog, Mike, and uh, your your modifications to your acoustic guitars are fascinating. Oh, thanks. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little about those? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, I have one of them right next to me, but it's uh, it's not in playable condition. It was my original toy guitar. Uh, that I've had for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. Is that the $20 one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, it's so bad that before, by the time I decided it was time to retire it, um, if I, I don't know if you guys play guitar at all, but as I worked my way up the fretboard, like maybe in the neighborhood of the 10th fret or so, yeah. Um, 
it was actually off by a half step. So if I were if I were playing that high up the fretboard, I would actually adjust and play on the wrong fret. Wow! Because that would be closer to in tune than if I played on the right fret. It was now. That what bad. had caused it to go bad? The the neck got warped. Well, partly it's um, it's just, just really uh, poorly made to begin with. But yeah, sure. But it got much worse over the years, and part of that, most of that, is warping of the neck, uh, and. Probably at least twice the neck actually snapped off and I glued it back on. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, realize that this is a $20 toy guitar right. that uh, has steel strings on it. And it doesn't have a, uh, a rod in the right. neck. So, um, my new acoustic uh, uh, toy guitar that I got a year ago actually has nylon strings, which I think is pretty sensible. Uh, because that puts a lot less uh, tension on the neck, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully it'll hold up better over time. Now, now, you, but you you buy these cheap ones so you don't mind sort of tearing them apart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, originally, uh, I never actually tore, tore them apart until within the last year. Oh, okay. Uh, I I bought cheap ones, cheap small guitars, just so that I could travel with them. Uh, it's nice to be able to. You know, just toss the thing in the overhead bin in an airplane and not really worry about it getting damaged because you only spent 20 bucks on it, you know? Right, right, right. Okay. So so tell us the, 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 the tale. So just to sort of zoom out a little bit here, um, for those who haven't visited Mossman's blog, um, he, Bill is referring to a project that Mike started um, surrounding uh, a contest yeah, I entered the uh, the badge hacking contest at DEF CON this last summer. <laughs> What's uh, wait a second? What's DEF CON? What's Def- a DEF CON? <laughs> DEF CON is uh, North America's largest and oldest hacker conference. Uh, it's in Las Vegas every summer, and it has grown to um, very nearly ten thousand people. Uh, it's big, and it's a lot of fun. And, and dangerous. And dangerous. Uh, oh, you've been. <laughs> not, not, uh, not the kind of place you go with, you know, ports open on your laptop. <laughs> no, no. Um, but uh, they have the, the last few years, they've had uh, electronic uh, conference badges. Okay. And the last couple of years, there has been a conference uh, uh, badge hacking contest. Okay. Uh, to see who could modify their electronic badge in the most interesting way. Now, what do these yeah. things use? RFIDs? What? Are, how is the stuff stored? Uh, you mean on the on the conference badge? Yeah. The conference badge actually is just, as far as gaining entry into the contest or the conference. Yeah. It, it, its function as a badge is purely visual. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's it's electronics. Are, are just for novelty. Ah, uh, gotcha. So, like, this year's badge had a little, uh, uh, a really nice little uh, uh, LCD screen uh, that was that's persistent, kind of like the, the e-ink displays on a Kindle. Sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the badge featured a little microcontroller, and it featured one of these cool little displays. And it had sort of a... A little, uh, a little game built into it, but it's purely, purely novelty. It has nothing to do with 
actually or the the function of the badge has nothing to do with its function as a uh, as a badge, if that gotcha. makes any sense. Yep. So, and in years past, you know, they've done things like just blinked LEDs, or uh, like one year it was a uh, a TV be gone, which is a uh, kind of a universal television remote that you can use to turn off any television. <laughs> uh, uh, so over the years, different badges have done different things, but at the core is a microcontroller that you can reprogram to do all sorts of other things and interface with other things. And I decided to interface mine with my toy guitar and try to turn my cheap acoustic toy guitar into an electric, uh, which I still haven't finished. It's, it's not working. It's not, uh, it's not an electric yet, but it has all the hardware done uh, to do that. I so you're building firmware for it. You're building pickups, digital pickups. I built and and um, and pickups uh, were, were something that I experimented with a lot before the conference. Okay. Uh, I, I I thought I thought of this up this whole kind of project as an opportunity to experiment with guitar technology more than just to win a contest, you know. And so one of the things I thought of was, well, there's this there's this analog to digital converter built into the the um, the badge microcontroller. Uh, I, sh- I could just take a regular off-the-shelf magnetic guitar pickup and with minimal circuitry plug that straight into the, uh, the analog-to-digital converter on the microcontroller. Right. But I decided it would be more fun to experiment with alternative pickup technologies. Okay. So the first thing I tried was to use a magnetic Hall effect sensor, uh, or okay. a, a sol- solid-state Hall effect sensor, I should say, which is... a uh, uh, a little, uh, a little device that looks like a little transistor, that is a um, uh, a magnetic sensor, and these are used very commonly, like for example, in laptops to detect a little permanent magnet that's affixed to the display. Uh, when you close the the, the laptop screen, gotcha. one of the ways that, that some laptops detect that it's closed is by sensing the presence of that. Uh, permanent magnet with a Hall effect sensor, and this is a analog device. Yes. Now there are analog Hall effect sensors, and there are also digital Hall effect sensors. Most okay. Hall effect sensors, including the ones that are in laptops, uh, are in fact digital. I mean, they have a little analog component inside them, but then right. they use that to basically switch on or off. It's just a, a binary state, right? Gotcha. Right. But the but the Hall effect sensors that I was playing with are analog uh, or linear Hall effect sensors, where they produce an output, like an output voltage, that sure. is proportional to this magnetic field strength. Gotcha. Neat. And so I thought, well, hey, instead of using these these traditional magnetic pickups, which which are basically just magnetic sensors, um, but they're they're made in a completely different way by by wrapping around thousands Coils, of feet yeah. of, of, of wire. Uh, instead of using thousands of feet of wire, um, maybe I could use one of these solid state Hall effect sensors. And just stick one under each string, and use steel strings, and put permanent magnets in the vicinity so that there is a a magnetic field for them to for the strings to perturb. And uh, as it turned out, it didn't work very well uh, <laughs> be- because the, it actually worked, but it it uh, it gave me a really poor signal to noise ratio. So if I yeah. I basically I had to amplify it so loud that I got a whole lot of hiss along right. with the just the not efficient playing. enough. 
Right, right. Yeah. So I tried a few other things. I tried these magneto-resistive effect sensors, which are kind of like the next generation after Hall effect sensors. And those performed better but were a little harder to work with. Um, but I ended up trying an optical sensor. Okay. Uh, what I, or what I actually built into the guitar at DEF CON was, it was a, a reflective optical uh, guitar pickup that uses now, has this has this Has this ever light. been done commercially? Um, no. Well, the, there have been some commercial optical guitar pickups that are transmissive as opposed to reflective. Okay. So a, a, trans, a transmissive sensor has like the, a light source on one side of the string and mm-hmm. then a light detector on the other side of the yeah. string. And so the string, as it vibrates, interrupts the beam yeah. of light. Right. It occludes right. it at a certain frequency, and so they can right. measure that. For, gotcha. Exactly. So what I was trying was a little bit different than that. It's something that I don't believe anyone's ever commercially produced, and that is a reflective optical sensor. And the reason I wanted to try that, was, first of all, I just wanted to experiment with something new. And second of all, uh, the, one of the, the drawbacks of the transmissive sensors is that you have to have some part of the device on both sides of the string. So you have to have something that covers up the tops of the strings in addition to having stuff beneath the strings. Right. And that, that kind of gets in the way of the, of the player of the instrument. You, know, you sure. have a part, a piece of the pickup you know, between you and the string. Right. Uh, so I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to see if I could build a, build a pickup that would that would completely fit under a string like a traditional guitar pickup. Yep. Uh, but also be optical. And so the way to do that is reflectively, where you you shine a a light up at the string from beneath it, and then the light bounces off the string and hits a sensor that's also beneath the string. So you're hoping the string is reflective enough for this to be for it to know yes. enough. Yeah. Yes, and I did enough uh, experimentation before DEFCON to know that this generally works. Uh, my, now, did, my do these strings vibrate, uh, I guess, vertically to the body of the guitar in general, or do they do they kind of move in a weird kind of circular motion on the Z-axis, if you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a, oh, yeah, that's a really good question. They, they do have a fairly complicated and generally circular motion. Okay, and that, uh, that, does that mess with... The results, because sometimes it's going to be, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it obviously could. you're going to lose the component. You're the the sort of component you're looking for, which is the distance between right. the light and the string. Right, is going to change depending on where in that cycle it is. That's is a really good observation, uh, and it's something <laughs> I've, it's something I've thought about a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, the the thing that I keep thinking of when I when I when that occurs to me, and I think, oh no, I'm going to get messed up because I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm not I, I worry that I'm not detecting the correct mode of vibration, you know. Exactly, but, yeah. But uh but the thing that that gives me uh, comfort is that traditional guitar pickups also are are relatively two-dimensional in their uh, approach. And so they're not really detecting the full three-dimensional motion of the string either. Huh. And if if they don't do it, then I can probably get away with not doing it. Good but, good point. Okay. But here here's a here's a cool thing though. If this technique works, you could mount two reflective optical sensors under a string at, that are 90 degrees. Yeah, uh, 45 on each side. Know, each, yeah. yeah, 45 on each side. And map it in 3D. And you could actually detect the 3D position of the yeah. string <laughs> much, much, much more precisely than any, uh, any other guitar pickup to date. To date. Okay, which could be interesting. You know, there might be effects. You know, you might be able to do something like have a digital effect that 
only applies to the motion in on one axis and then yeah, a digital yeah. effect that applies to the motion in the other axis and then learn you know if you did something like that you might Blend learn between as a player them. how to get one sound or another from the way you pluck the strings or something it's yeah it's a whole other dimension in playing that you wouldn't normally think about yeah uh, so okay so so you you've tried this right you would you set up leds to bounce the light yeah, I'm using uh, infrared LED as a as a light source and an infrared uh, uh, photodiode as the detector. Okay, are they like right next to each other? Did you like bounce it up and sort of off to the side a little bit so it hits? They're the kind of they're they're kind of 45 degrees. Um, you know the the two the two. I mean the 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 photodiode looks like a little LED, so it looks like two LEDs that are both under the same string. Each one is directly under it, and then they're they're both aimed. 45 degrees towards each other so that they bounce uh so that the light uh you know goes at an angle up towards the string and then bounces 45 degrees yep off to the other one gotcha and and so okay so wait the signal comes down the other the other sensor is is grabbing this light and then how do how does that get turned into something you can actually use well that's the complicated part um i I, and that's he's just like i didn't really expect this to get into this kind of stuff did you (laughs) (laughs) no i didn't uh but and and now that you mention it i didn't really expect this guitar project to get into that kind of sorry (laughs) Uh, and well no but it's great i learned so much doing this project um i learned uh how to um how to use operational amplifiers to uh, condition the signal from a photodiode such that uh, it can be used as an input to, say, an analog-to-digital converter on a microcontroller. And okay. in, per- in particular, I learned how to do that si- for six strings simultaneously and combine and all those signals them all. Into, a, yeah. Into, yeah, into a sum uh, that could all be fed into the same analog-to-digital converter. So you, you, you did converter. the summing in the analog domain? Exactly. Okay. And it, but I came up with a method. I mean, it, it would be cool to be able to, in the digital domain, have uh, six distinct signals, one for each string. Sure, right? a lot more I mean, power. Yeah, there's a lot more stuff you could do with it. Like, for example, apply a digital effect to one particular string. Uh, or, um, but, but. Now, is that the uh, kind of thing? Could could would like one of those little Arduino things be powerful enough to do that kind of stuff? Uh, probably. I don't know a whole lot you know about, the about analog those? to digital converters yeah. that are built yeah, make, into the Arduino. Make magazine and the the O'Reilly. Yeah. Is it O'Reilly? Yeah, they love those things. Yeah, yeah. I just wondered if they have that. If those things have enough juice, you know. They would more or less, um, but they wouldn't. Uh, where they would fall down, at least the, the run of the mill Arduino's, um, is on actually processing the digital signal and doing something interesting with it after. Right after collecting it sure um and that was one of the things i was really looking to uh uh, take advantage of on the defcon badge is the particular microcontroller that was on the defcon badge this year had uh it was really a digital signal processor and so it was very well suited to the kinds of operations uh that you'd want to do if you wanted to do say digital guitar effects sure and so it had the horsepower to be able to do that kind of stuff, where an the Arduino DSP on the chip had, had more horsepower than an Arduino. Oh, much more. 
Yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> that's and, and you know what's really funny? It's probably 10 times more powerful than any DSP you could buy 10 years ago. Oh, uh, probably. Yeah. That's you know? insane. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And like the kinds that you would find in away. like a guitar effects processor or just like a regular studio component that cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah. 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 That's just really funny. Okay. Sorry. So, so. And, and yeah, yeah, this is the kind of component that you would find in, uh, in like off the shelf, uh, maybe like a guitar stomp box or something yeah, like that. Yeah, sure. It's, it's not unlikely that this particular chip might be found in those kinds of devices okay so where'd you get stuck uh well i didn't really get stuck i just ran out of time oh okay um (laughs) i i I made really good progress before defcon uh but i spent most of that time just experimenting with alternative pickup technologies and i didn't really spend much of that time really like building circuits for the competition so i got to defcon and i basically had to build the whole thing there uh, and it was very complicated. It had a lot of parts. I mean, just the just the circuit f- to drive the uh, the optical pickup was a you know a pretty s- complicated circuit to build yeah. and to build, especially in a hotel room. And <laughs> and uh, by the time I got the hardware done, I looked at the clock, and it was already Sunday, and it was already like two hours until the competition ended, and I hadn't written a single line of firmware. Oops, right. <laughs> and I hadn't even thoroughly tested the hardware, so right. which I still haven't. Um, <laughs> but um, so I looked at what I had, and I decided, well, what can I get done in two hours? And what I decided I could get done was was to just ignore the whole audio aspect of the thing and get the built-in tuner working. Okay. And uh, and the built-in tuner. Uh, is a, a uh, three-phase RGB stroboscopic tuner with a, a RGB LED um, embedded into the, f- the fretboard of a guitar, the fingerboard of a guitar, um, one under each string. Okay. And it just pulses the LEDs one color at a time uh, at a rate equal to the, the expected vibration Speed the ideal of the string. frequency, yeah, okay. Right. And so you just get like three blobs of color, one red and one green and one blue, and they kind of rotate around each other. And this actually gets back to your question about the vibrational modes of a string. You can really see them in when you use this guitar tuner. Yeah. And you can really see how, how circular or elliptical they are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and when, this, when it's in tune, the three colors stabilize and they they don't rotate much but when it's out of tune they rotate around each other faster and faster the further out of tune it is that's funny oh that's interesting yeah Yeah, it's you know the the intersection of music and technology is 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 a little scary sometimes but it's funny because most people aren't thinking about it in this way you know sort of the physics Uh of music which is where this kind of goes yeah yeah but music is a physical phenomenon. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. But it's and a, all yeah. musical instruments are physical, obviously. Of course, yeah. So, you, are you going to bother finish? So, wait. So, as far as the firmware that you would have written, uh-huh. how, 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 what, what do you what do you write that in an emulator and then push it over to the chip, or how, you know, are you going to run that externally somewhere? Uh, you write it in a a, a C compiler. Um, okay. 
and then you have some kind of a programming device to connect to the and that's got to be a real pain to debug now uh yeah yeah it can be um <laughs> i i actually have a debugger for this chip oh okay. which is a little a little box uh with a jtag interface to the chip so it, so it allows you to do things like like uh set breakpoints and step through code and and see you know it's it's basically a little debugging interface to the chip that you run the user interface for on your computer right now have uh, you have you always been into this kind of thing no <laughs> i've only gotten into this stuff within the last two years actually uh, yeah I, uh, okay yeah but obviously you have some education in in uh, cs or that kind of stuff uh well not any formal education okay uh, you taught yourself programming yeah i mean i've been programming since i was a kid okay and uh i kind of paid my way through college by working in the computer labs but i was a music major right and, like me and uh yeah <laughs> and uh you know now i'm a, a wireless security researcher for a living and it's only it's really for one particular project within the last couple of years that i've kind of learned all this hardware stuff and learned how to program microcontrollers and debug them and sure and uh and how to build analog circuits and digital circuits yeah all that stuff is fascinating to me and yet it's like i I just i'm terrified of the time suck (laughs) (laughs) it is a time suck (laughs) but it is but it's so much fun i recommend it to anybody i mean uh, like the Arduino, for example, is yeah. a really good way to to get into a kind of an easy path to get into microcontroller programming. Sure, uh, there's so much you can do with that platform. Yeah, there's it's some amazing. Cr- what some people crazy girl reprogrammed uh, Super Mario Brothers on one. That yeah. was playing with. Did you see this video? I, this no, Asian girl. I haven't seen it. <laughs> and she and she programmed the whole thing, and it worked off of like a I don't know. Which, let's say she set up a. 16 by 16 or 32 by 32 grid of LEDs. Uh-huh. And the whole thing played, like, all you saw was, like, you know, a dot was you or whatever it is. And you could jump uh-huh. and all the rest of it. But, like, it was all, like, on this really low-res, you know, two-bit, say it was 32 by 32 grid, you know. Right. And then she set up a whole, she's like, oh, and it wouldn't be complete without another one. And she sets up another Arduino, plugs it in, and it goes, do 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 boo do boop boom. <laughs> <laughs> she, she had playing the music. So so one was doing the display and yeah. then one was doing the, the audio. Oh, I'll have to find it instead of to you guys. Nice. It was it was pretty genius. Like it was like <laughs> Yeah, she was a nerd. Nice. Uh, anyway, so so <laughs> that yeah, I, I I've thought about it. I don't know. It's uh that's a whole other world. It actually it was on Make magazine. There it is on a blog. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll send it around. But the uh Yeah, it's a good time. So uh, let's go over to your uh, security. Oh, it's an 8x8 eight eight matrix. Here, I'll send it to you guys. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. It was like a stupid little That's thing. That's going to be hard just, to play. Well, yeah. yeah I, I think it was more just of a – but it's amazing, you know, because we all know the game. Even 8x8, eight uh-huh. eight, you can if, – if it's scrolling past, you kind of go, that looks really familiar. You know? Uh-huh. <laughs> like all of those platforms are where they're supposed to be and the clouds are where they're supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? Like you can you can see it going by and you're like, oh, that totally makes sense, you know? <laughs> So oh, how man. did you get into the Bluetooth stuff? Is that what you do? Wireless, Dan was saying? Yeah, I do uh, wireless security research. And um, 
Bluetooth, that my Bluetooth work is just something I kind of picked up on the side. It, it's, it's similar to the work I do in my day job, but, um, but I just kind of took an interest in Bluetooth on the side. Uh, and that's really, um, it's for a Bluetooth project that I really got into hardware hacking. Okay. Um, I've been working on this, uh, this project called, uh, Ubertooth, which is a, uh, and the, my idea is to build a better Bluetooth adapter, um, uh, and better from the standpoint of a wireless security researcher. Uh, <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are, uh, uh, a lot of different wireless communication protocols out there, and most of them haven't really been scrutinized that much, at least not in public, uh, by security researchers. Okay. Uh, the one that has been scrutinized a lot is is 802.11, or Wi-Fi. Right. And everybody's heard about Wi-Fi security at some point. Yeah. Um, and... You, if if you don't know much of anything about Wi-Fi security, what little you do know is probably this: it used to be really bad, and now it's pretty good. Right. <laughs> and and the reason it's pretty good now is because it was very heavily scrutinized, and and a lot of vulnerabilities were discovered. And yeah, are you talking fixed. about more the web stuff or or like or, yeah, web is or web is a great example. Okay, good. But but WEP is just one of many things that was wrong with Wi-Fi security back in the day, right? Uh, and but but WEP is a great kind of poster child here. WEP was something that the manufacturers thought would be good enough for the consumers, right? And then people came along and figured out people how like to you came along and started stealing stuff from them, <laughs> <laughs> and. And uh, and then the manufacturers finally said, "Oh, okay, maybe we should build something better," and they did. And everyone who uses 802.11 now benefits from that all that security work, both on both breaking it and fixing it, that went yeah. on over the last decade. Well, there and, was. That, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say that there was that. Uh, Firefox extension. Everyone's all upset about the past couple weeks. Uh, oh, you know, Fire Sheep. Yeah. Yeah, that that you know. Apparently, if you're you're uh, you're on an unencrypted network, uh, this thing can go on and grab the the tokens that all these sites are using, and basically, you can steal people's lo- you know get into people's systems because they don't know any different that it's not you know that's fascinating right. to me. Right. Yeah, I was at TourCon when that was released. Uh, Eric was that, you and the guys was that like a result that. of TourCon? Like someone at TourCon wrote that and then kind of released it in, into the wild. There. Well, it was it was written before TourCon. It was uh. it was released at a presentation at TourCon. And apparently uh-huh. there were there were there were other ways to do similar things before. They were just much oh, yes. more hackerish. This guy just happened to turn it into an easy to use plugin. Right. He he kind of weaponized it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and which I think was a great thing. Um in general, you know, there's kind of a um it's kind of a, a never-ending debate in the security community, as both you know what, whether you disclose vulnerabilities to the public, how you disclose vulnerabilities to the public, and how easy do you make the vulnerabilities to exploit when you do expose them or sure. you do disclose them to the public, yeah. and and those particular vulnerabilities 
that fire sheep exploits were things that were known for years and no one and and generally speaking uh they hadn't really been weaponized or made easy to exploit by somebody not very knowledgeable right um it, but and, and so what the authors of that tool decided was that well if if the if the uh owners of the and the operators of the websites that are vulnerable won't fix it knowing that the vulnerabilities exist maybe they'll fix it yeah. <laughs> knowing that they can be exploited yeah. this easily and if that, we stick this you know, big stick up their ass then they'll yeah <laughs> right right and but, i but think it, that was fully appropriate considering how long those vulnerabilities have been out there but i guess i guess the question is is the answer to a you know uh move the move the cookies around encrypted or have https connections across the board to these kinds of things or should there not be open Wi-Fi points and everyone should use WPA and with a password so everything's, you know, cordoned off from each other, you know, or, or right. both of those things? You know, I mean, is, is the security the fault of the sites or is it the fault of the, you know, the last mile over here for the people going well, my on opinion, at Starbucks? In my opinion, uh, it's something that should be affixed uh, by, the, by the websites. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is because of the diversity in in networks that people might be on. Yeah, uh, FireSheep can very very easily be used on on open wireless networks. Yeah, but it's not that hard to adapt it to use in other environments, such as a basic uh, LAN, a wired yeah. LAN. Sure, it really is. It, all you need to do is download one extra tool uh, to. Uh, ins- to insert yourself into the connection between anyone on the land and yeah. the rest of the world, and then you can use FireSheep. Is it, I mean, is is it still possible to because cable modems are all like these weird nodes that get spread out and and you know like you don't have a direct connection to the cable company. We're all part of like a big I don't know hornet's nest of things that are connected. Correct? You know, like when cable modems first came out, people would see right. shares on each other's machines. I mean, right. is, is that a concern too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I haven't poked around much on cable networks recently. I imagine yeah. that they may have changed over the years, but that was absolutely true at first, <laughs> and it may still be true today. Um, yeah. But even if it's not, there are plenty of other kinds of networks where sure. this is true. Um, and even, even wireless networks where you are using WPA, for example. Yeah. Uh, there was an interesting vulnerability disclosed this summer um, that was the, kind of the first big WPA vulnerability that any, anybody's figured out in a while. And what he figured out was that uh, you can, um, in a WPA network, there is good protection from, uh, as far as the, the, the cryptography, there, there's good protection of your data from somebody who is not on the network but there's supposed to also be protection between multiple users of the same network like one of them is supposed to be encrypted differently than the other one and they don't share data and they don't share keys okay and what what was figured out or what was disclosed this summer is that there's a relatively easy attack that allows one user on a wpa network to uh 
observe or perhaps modify all of the traffic of another user on the same network. So even if you have, if you, even if you are doing everything right in your network infrastructure and you're encrypting everything and you do WPA and you have strong authentication, yeah, all your users still have to trust each other. Yes. Yeah. But is that will that always be the case? You know, will, will there always not. be a hole somewhere? You know. I mean, well, otherwise I mean, DEF CON wouldn't be much fun, right? There will always, <laughs> there <laughs> will always be a hole somewhere, uh, yeah. but that's why uh, that's. Uh, but, we, but we can't just give up, you know, yeah. and say, "Oh, well, there's always a hole." So, right. uh, let's just forget about security. But I, you know, uh, I think it, I <laughs> security think it's is still important to people. You you saying that you think the sites should fix it? I mean, uh, Gmail went all HTTPS. Uh, yes about a year ago uh right i mean and they said google has come out and i mean look google is about as big of a giant as you could say data wise and they say you know what it costs us one or two percent right to run everything https it's like so you know what why wouldn't somebody like facebook do that you know i mean do you think it's just a switch they need to turn on or do you think it's there there's a whole bunch of other stuff in their code that may not work and so they've got to rewrite stuff I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it for, probably for, is a little bit more complicated than flipping a switch. Okay. Uh, I, I imagine Google's right about the, the overall cost. Yeah. But the cost of implementation, that, that one-time cost, may be, yeah. may be a bit high. Uh, my, my, my guess is, I mean, not that I know anything about this stuff, but if I had to, if I had to take a wild guess about like a site like Facebook... Um, Facebook was, was, you know, was started something that started off really small, yeah. And over time, I guess, like, like you can almost, I guess, compare it to an operating system, where over time, as additional people joined the group and started contributing, um, certain aspects of it got kind of, you know, sure. out of sync or out of control. And ne- next thing you know, you know, these things all appear to be unified, yeah. but under under the hood, it's like you know you have think. Oh well, that's that's legacy that's been in there since wait, wait, the Dan, first Dan, version. Dan, are, are you saying that that Facebook is the MCP from Tron? <laughs> End of line. <laughs> that when we dig really far down there, we end up with an old guy. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I have become 4,000 times stronger since we last... Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so good. You're no, I, I think it's true. I just think it's interesting that uh, that security like this is actually being discussed in normal press now. You know, which, yeah. which it wasn't five years ago. That's generally true. And I, I think that is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, now, are there, are there... You go to these DEF CON things. Are there tons of just script kiddies walking around trying to play with the big guys oh sure um yeah. it isn't always easy to tell who which is which yeah <laughs> uh, i mean sometimes it is but uh you, you get surprised if you uh if you you know try to judge a book by its cover yeah some 15 year old kid sitting there and he's totally owning everyone in the area yeah sure yeah <laughs> absolutely now now should i be concerned about the rfid inside of my passport yes <laughs> yes. Well, seriously, you know, there are Everyone some people who concerned. say that. Yeah, there are some people who say that there's ways to disable it. There is. Stick it in the microwave, dude. Yeah, some people say that, but I, I don't know. Is that what do you think, Mike? 
Well, the only way to be sure is to actually test it. Or take um, a hammer at it. <laughs> get, yeah, hammers have been reported to work. Microwaves <laughs> have been reported to work. No, Although, no, come on. I, there, aren't I've there heard smart you people? Get, You've heard one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I've heard that you can get scorch marks with a microwave, awesome. uh, which is oh, kind no. of a telltale sign that you've tampered <laughs> with your passport. <laughs> but, I mean, look, there are smart people in the government, right? So smart security people in the government, obviously. I mean, at certain levels. You know, the NSA are no slouch. So sure. how did this ever get through if it is so vulnerable, you know? Well, I actually work for the government, and I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, there are, there's been some interesting work done on the, on the RFID uh, tags that are in passports and enhanced driver's licenses. And one of the most... Uh, kind of unexpected things uh, to come out within the last year uh, or so is uh, is the fact that they can be read from a very long distance. Yes. Um, and uh, this is just sort of a basic, basic thing that you, that you would think, uh, you know, people implementing or deciding, you know, what, what device are we going to put in a passport or should we put a device in the passport – uh, you would think that they would have done the homework to figure out, uh, you know, whether or not they uh, they could be read from 200 feet away. Now, now these um, things, all these I don't things know are, they did or not. These things have no power source, right? They're inert until they're in some sort of field in which they get powered up and then they transmit. Correct. Okay. Uh, so, but, so, but there there are several different kinds of RFID tags. Uh, most RFID tags are passive, which means they, they behave the way you're talking about, where they, okay. they don't have their own power source. Right. But most, most passive RFID tags that people are used to are lower frequency tags that only operate at a distance of, say, a few centimeters. Okay. Um, or maybe a meter at the most. Right. So like, they're, they're, um, those like are, a card those key. Are for stock. Right, right. Or like your... your um, uh, building access cards, right, like key, and like key that. fobs and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. For right, yeah. right, yeah. most of those things are operating at much, much lower frequencies than the than the tags that are in the passports. Okay, and one of the uh, one of the side effects there is that the you know the the higher frequencies really operate by radio communication, whereas those lower frequency tags are operating by it's generally inductive coupling, uh, okay. which is an effect that that only takes place over a very short distance. Right. So it kind of caught people by surprise, I think, most people, to learn that these passive RFID tags that are in the passports are different than the passive tags that they're used to in right. that they operate on radio signals that can propagate a relatively long distance. Now, how much, how much data do these things kick off? I actually uh, don't know the details of how much data is stored in a tag. I mean, is it the kind um, of thing where, like, if somebody got your passport and photo, you know, uh, photocopied the front page with your picture and all your numbers on it, I mean, is that the kind of information they're going to get? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if all I mean, of not that exactly, but you don't understand what I'm saying. Like, is stored exactly in. in so if somebody the, got the their RFID hands tag, on your passport, it it's not like they're getting any more information than somebody who got it for five minutes. And copy exactly. down numbers. 
that is what they're getting is okay. is the information similar to what is printed on the passport okay uh, but but that is potentially powerful information well sure. that's potentially information that can be used to clone passports yep. um, that's information that can be used to track individuals uh, it's information that can be used uh, I mean one of the most sort of scary movie plot scenarios that people have proposed is is uh, wouldn't it be unfortunate if uh, somebody who, say, had it out for Americans in general had some kind of a device that would uh, only activate if it were in the presence of X number of American passports? Uh, yeah, huh. yeah, 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 sure. Awesome. Uh, that is a kind of device that's relatively easy to produce sure. uh, when you can do things like read passports at 200 feet. Yeah, sure. Is it two, wait, did you say 200 feet? Yeah. People have clocked the U.S. passport at 200 feet? More than 200 feet. Uh, Jesus. That's scary. I mean, somebody could go in, stand by, you know, a security checkpoint at an airport. I mean, you go to an international terminal at JFK or wherever. I mean, you could pick up hundreds of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and now the, the, the demonstration... Um, for, for the 200-foot read range demonstration requires some pretty pretty hefty antennas. Yeah, are you, are uh, you, and are you beaming energy into the thing? Like, you know, yeah, directional absolutely. antenna beaming it straight towards it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so like kind of, two... it's, 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 more, uh, it's more like a, a LIDAR <laughs> than it is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, the way that these tags work is very, very similar or the way that our tag reader works is very, very yeah. similar to a radar device. Right, you know, of course. It sends a signal out and is waiting for a modulated reflection. Huh. Um, and uh, so if you have, if you can transmit your signal out at a higher power and you can use very strong directional antennas for both transmit and receive, then you can, re- you know, then you can sure. read these things at a long range. But even with less... Uh, obvious antennas. It's very, very likely that people uh, could build hardware that would read these things from, you know, tens of feet. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Dozens just, of feet. <laughs> it's you know, I just you know when I got I had to get a new passport a couple of years ago because mine was up and it it was like right at the time when some of them were coming back with the tags and some of them weren't. Uh-huh. And I got one, and it has the little symbol on the cover, and you could feel like a little bit of thickness in the cover. And I'm like, uh-huh. ah, you know. And and I'm a bit of a security privacy hound, you know. So it's just kind of like, ugh, what can I do about this? But at the same time, I don't want to get arrested next time I drop, you know, bring my passport into some place, and they're like, you know, who the hell are you? You're going into this room over here, and we're having a talk, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. you can. Well, answer me this, Mike. I'm I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that you can um, you can protect yourself against that sort of wayward rogue scanning uh by simply sticking your your passport or any rfid device uh in an aluminum foil envelope yeah like the that things is generally they, true yeah right? so basically like the stuff they send uh the easy passes out in which by the way why can't they make these things work at high speed why do we have to slow down to two miles an hour to make an easy pass work <laughs> they work at high speed 
Yeah, in very few places they have those ones where, like, yeah, you're going under all these big antennas, but most of the time you're going through the toll booths and you got to slow down to, like, you know, basically you're going through a toll booth. You know? That's not the Easy Pass's fault, dude. That's the toll booth. That, that, that's the traffic pattern design. I know. You I think, think they'd come up with a better system? <laughs> I don't know. Just kind of drives me nuts. I hear I you. The, I hate those Easy Passes. Oh come but, on! But, but see, it's but, better than stopping. Well, it is, but at the same time, like you know, they don't need to keep records of when you went through and where you went and what time you went, and yet they do. You know, and it's kind of like oh, it's creepy tracking stuff. I don't like it. I don't no, know. I don't know is. where you guys come out on that, but I, it's just kind of like you don't need that information beyond billing me for the three fifty. You don't need to know. You know, I, right? I guess. I mean, my 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 thinking is it's like. That you're 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 performing a transaction anyway. I mean, I, I guess what you're talking about is is them holding on to that information for yeah, longer which than. Of course, they do. Yeah, I guess so. Right. I mean, and I don't know that, that just from a civil liberties point of view. And but but it's funny because they make it. It's just like, well, if you get an easy pass, not only is it faster, but you pay less money. It's, it's true. Like, they do ooh. charge you less. <laughs> it's like they get you from multiple angles. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's I don't know. Oh, it's interesting. Sure. It's very similar to the uh, like grocery store loyalty cards. Yes. Yeah, you know, which they... I don't go anywhere near. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 if something's really on sale, I'll say to the person next to me, oh, "I'm sorry, do you have a card just so I can you know get another buck off my frozen strawberries?" <laughs> right, uh, right. Which is what I usually well, yeah. do. So, you know, one trick I've learned is that at least at the stores that I go to, uh, you can use your you can just tell them your phone number instead yeah. of showing them a card. Yeah. So if you know the phone number of anyone, somebody who has one, yeah, (laughs) like anyone who lives in the neighborhood, uh, you know, just pick a random phone number and give it to them. I, you know, I do that with my mother and CVS, but the problem is Uh then I end up getting like her coupons, (laughs) which I feel really guilty about. It's like, oh, she gets three dollars off something that she uses, and I'm like, damn it. You know, <laughs> I just Oops. I cut to my mom in Connecticut going, where did I get that? I've, I've been waiting for that coupon for that. Gillette sensor yeah, shaving exactly. cream. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what anyway, am, it's just funny. What am I going to do with a tube of KY and a yeah. box of dog biscuits? <laughs> Mike, what, what do you what do you think about uh, why do certain cell phone manufacturers turn off a lot of profiles on the phones? You know? Like for a long time, uh, the, you know, Apple turned off almost all the profiles on the iPhone for Bluetooth. You know, uh, I mean, are they doing it for real security reasons, or are they just trying to be controlling? What do you think I about all know. that stuff? I, I well, I mean, do you think they should I just had let to, people use I had whatever just, the hell they want? Well, my guess is that the main reason they cut that stuff down is, is twofold. Uh, one is sometimes they're opening up an opportunity to sell you something. Yeah. But two, and the more common case I, is I think that they're just trying to cut down on their support costs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's funny, though, that, that I, I, I'm currently using an Android device, which I like a lot. And it's funny because, you know, you log in and it grabs everything off the cloud over the net, you know, your address book and all those kinds of things, you know. And it's funny how a lot of these systems are still using all these wired things and you got to plug it in and you got to sync. It's like, that's really old. And it's surprising because there was a time when iSync and stuff was all working through Bluetooth, doing a lot of that work wirelessly, you know. And it seems right. like it, it all went backwards and it's still way backwards in, in a strange way, you know. 
uh, it's, I don't know. It's just interesting the way the industry is all over the place with that stuff. Like some things are so far ahead and some things are so far backwards, you know? Uh, I don't know. Right. I, just, I just think it's interesting. I don't know. Dan, you like your iPhone, so you're not going to comment. Well, I, you know, no, I, I, I've t- we've talked about this before. Uh, yeah. I can, I'm still a little, uh, mystified, uh, about why, um, something like exactly what you're talking about like i had software in os 9 dude like before os 10 um that was able to talk to my first gen or second gen bluetooth enabled cell phone my i had an old sony ericsson sure phone and it was awesome man it would it had proximity detection so when i got nearby i could i had a little script running so that it would uh kick my screensaver on or turn it off when i was nearby um i could get text messages it was able to intercept or I should say relay SMS text messages on t- just on screen yeah. um, so that I could actually reply to them on my on my keyboard and keep keep a log of them. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you say, there was the iSync stuff with the dress book. Yeah. Um, there was a really cool one where you could have it so that um, it would display the, the number calling on you know in giant type across your screen. Sure, uh, yeah. like a big call ID, like little little yeah. stuff like that. That um, it's not like it's rocket science. I mean, it's been around for you know seven or eight years, ten years. Um, but Apple has just been dragging their feet on it. I don't, it's I don't, really I don't funny. know. I mean, I think I said before Heather had a, she, my girlfriend moved to an iPhone, but before that she had a, a Motorola, uh, razor. Yeah. And like, I tried to pull all the stuff off of it. I had to go back and pull out her G4 titanium power book with Panther on it Yeah. to find a version of iSync that would talk to the phone. You know, <laughs> it's and I'm really like, frustrating. That's just really odd. Like, why would you remove phones from support you know what i mean like it's well, like i mean they're there funny. they're working but, but just it makes i mean the reason that i think the easy answer is like what mike just said is that support costs. uh yeah it's like someone but it's like they're the, already the dude, there it's not like no have, but dude that's know. not it the, the dude that wrote that doesn't work for the company oh, anymore it's so you frustrating know? though it's yeah. like you know it's like the whole point of this stuff is that it's supposed to be easier <laughs> and and you're making it harder you know i don't know it's just kind of funny well, write it yourself, dude. It's true. <laughs> Mike, you you, uh, you are a fascinating guest. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This yeah. is uh, fun to talk to. It's, it's fun to nerd out every once in a while with somebody who really knows what they're talking about. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is true. Because Dan and I just kind of bullshit a lot of the time. That's true. We, yeah. we, we know a thing or two about We do know stuff. a thing or two about this stuff. But, but, uh, um, but Mike is on a separate level. Mike knows yeah. a lot. Mike knows like a thing or five. You know, we'll, just we'll, don't ask me about cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know, what kind gonna... of cell phone do you use, Mike? I I have a candy bar feature phone. Awesome. Feature and phone. I do not use Bluetooth. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wait, maybe... are, you, are you telling me I should turn Bluetooth off on my phone? Oh, not necessarily. Yeah. You know, I I never find that Bluetooth headsets work as well as people act like they work. <laughs> like whenever i have one it like it, it, it like i can barely you know if i have the phone in my pocket a lot of times it's like garbled and stuff i'm like what the hell you know how is it that these people walk around with their phones like in a bag underneath a bag of chips and all this kind of stuff and they've got the thing in the rear and they're fine they're walking down the street like nothing and it's like i can't even get my high-end whatever motorola droid to work you know just they're funny. just pretending yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like on uh, uh, Flight of the Concords. He's like, "What is that?" He's like, "It's a Bluetooth." What does it do? I don't know. Have <laughs> <laughs> like he doesn't have the phone to plug it into, but he's got a Bluetooth on his ear. <laughs> oh my, Bluetooth oh, stuff. 
All right. Well, awesome. uh, what do you say we uh, wrap this up and we do this again some other time? I think it sounds great. All right. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for coming. And, uh, and uh, we'll have you back soon. All right. Thanks, guys. All cool. Right. Dan, uh, I'll catch you later. Yes. Right. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>